This is an AMI podcast. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown. Reality dating shows are everywhere. You might think of The Bachelor or The Golden Bachelor, The Bachelorette, that's ABC's offerings. Or then there's Love is Blind, which is super, super duper popular on Netflix. Every network has their own take on the idea or the genre. But why are they so popular? Laura Bain has been pondering this topic. Hey, good morning, Laura. Good morning, Dave. So, Laura, let's get right to it. Bite right into the apple. Why do you think these shows are so popular? Yeah. Um, well, you know, this topic was on my mind. You mentioned Love is Blind, and the latest season of that just came out on Netflix. And I have to admit, I'm someone who kind of burns through these shows pretty much as soon as they're released. Um, so, yeah. So I also wanted to see a little bit about what the experts are saying about uh, why they're popular, because I know I'm I'm not the only one. Um, but if you've ever seen these shows, you know, they really they combine drama, competition, uh, and arguably real life um, so that's a very enticing combination but the drama also isn't contained to the episodes which is really interesting so because these are featuring real people and many of them want to be famous there's also ways that we can engage with these um, you know stars or contestants outside of the platform so on social media um, and according to a USA Today article that I looked at on this topic these shows create what are called parasocial relationships um, between us and the cast members. And what that means is because we can engage with them on so many platforms and because we perceive them as real people, we feel like we actually have a connection to them or we know them. And that just makes us a lot more interested in what's happening in their love lives. I, I know I've been guilty of that. Like after, <laughs> after a season ends, looking up uh, a contestant on their Instagram or reading celebrity news, which obviously isn't something I would do if it was just a traditional fictional show that I was watching. Mm. I, you know, what you're talking about there is what really makes a subculture a subculture, but makes it a popular subculture. And it's the second screen experience, right? That you're not simply doing the action of taking in content, you're responding back out to the content. It's actually making you do something. That's fascinating, because I would also put something like the subculture that I love, which is sports, into the mix. You're playing fantasy sports, you're gambling, you're doing hot takes on Twitter. There's something about the content that you're consuming that's actually making you reach out and do more than just watch or listen. Yeah, that's so true. And I even saw that there's a Love is Blind game on Netflix. I don't know. I haven't delved into those like <laughs> interactive games you can play, but I think that's just kind of, you know, exactly what you're speaking to there. They're trying to engage people in multiple ways. Laura, you mentioned that when a new season drops, or I think Love is Blind sort of drops it in like little uh, partial seasons or like blocks of episodes, you go in and you voraciously consume. Why? Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking that's part of it where they only give you a little bit and if you've ever watched these shows you know that they always end on a cliffhanger which pretty much means you have to watch the next episode I don't really know why I tune in which is what I think a lot of viewers would say it's not like something I'm proud of <laughs> um, you know I definitely am someone who likes heartwarming TV uh, feel good kind of happy endings um, and so I definitely like that aspect of it I tend to watch TV to kind of 
you know, escape the difficulties of the world. But um, ex experts have said that people also watch these shows for schadenfreude or, you know, pleasure in other people's <laughs> suffering. I don't know if I want to take it that far and say that that's an element of it, but I would say maybe like an interest in the drama or, you know, when there's characters that are kind of portrayed um, edited as villains in the show, um, you know, you, you kind of want to see them get their comeuppance as well. <laughs> the car crash of reality TV is definitely a part of the reason why folks uh, tune in. And you can't, you, listen, you just can't have good TV without villains. If it's all good guys, then nobody's a good guy. If it's all good girls, then nobody's a good girl. You have to have these uh, folks who uh, stir the pot, so to speak. Uh, mm -hmm. Laura, what do you, what do you think the impact in the real world is of these shows. You mentioned that people might be a little bit more engaged or having some schadenfreude or doing some stuff on social. What do you think the impact is in the real dating world of shows like this? Yeah, I, I definitely think that there is a real impact. Um, you know, and experts say that a lot of people watch these shows because they're anxious about their own uh, dating lives and maybe they see them as both entertaining and educational, um, which is really scary because these shows like don't make good relationship <laughs> models at all. Um, you know, they uh, th these shows are highly edited, right? Which means that they're not showing the kind of... 90% of a healthy relationship, which is just pretty boring and like, <laughs> you know, healthy conflict resolution. Um, so I really like this quote, which was from a recent article in the Canadian Journal of Family and Youth. It says, these shows compromise our ability to understand that love without a steady environment, i.e. reality, uh, is just passion and emotion that fade. And so I feel like what happens a lot of times on this show is that uh, passion gets, or in infatuation gets conflated with love and I think unfortunately that's being reflected a lot in our dating culture these days especially with uh, you know online dating apps where the next the, your next match is just one swipe away yeah, right yeah it gamifies dating it gamifies dating it gamifies love it turns love into a competition rather than an actual like merging and melding of like two people together uh, to build support in a healthy relationship I, 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 that's sort of as I read between the lines there that would be my interpretation of it. Uh, Laura, you are starting to see newer and different iterations of dating shows. How can showrunners make space to continue to give underrepresented communities a platform in these shows? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that they can. Uh, and as you've said, we've seen that a little bit. So I think of, you know, shows like Down for Love or Love on the Spectrum. And I personally just thought those were really really well done. I thought they managed to actually educate and to normalize Down syndrome and autism respectfully, but they didn't kind of veer into inspiration porn, which would have been my fear with that. Um, but And I also thought that, you know, those two shows in particular were a lot more intersectional in ter terms of sexual orientation uh, and gender identity. But I, I think overall it is a problem. These shows tend to be really heteronormative. They feature conventionally attractive, able-bodied, often affluent contestants. Um, and they also tend to perpetuate really traditional relationship values and gender roles. I'm, I'm quite curious about that myself. I didn't find anything kind of delicate delving into that, but, you know, is that a motivation of the networks or the pro producers to put that forward? Or does that say more about the type of person who auditions to be on a reality dating show?
I don't know. <laughs> the self-perpetuating circle, yeah. No, you're right, though. Like, there, there has been some some space created for people with disabilities inside these spaces. But again, it keeps sort of being a specialized show, right? It's not a show where it's like, oh, we're going to have people from the disability community also being as part of the regular dating show. It's no, no, no. Here's your little separate section for you to be in as a person with a disability doing dating, sex, love, relationships, etc. Yeah, absolutely. I would like to see. I mean, they did have the ultimatum, like queer love version, but you know, when you, which, you know, of course I watched, but then you think like, why can't these shows, why do they have to be so kind of segmented off, right? Why isn't there a way that they could do this to just be more inclusive on kind of the mainstream shows? Yeah. Uh, Laura, I think if I were to put a fine pin on this, that the reality dating TV show has been popular for about 20 years, maybe even a little bit longer, pretty much since the inception of reality TV. There's been Love Island or Temptation Island or uh, any kind of romantic subplot, The Bachelor, et cetera, et cetera. How long do you think the genre will stay popular? Yeah, well, I'll just uh, get my crystal ball up <laughs> yeah. here, Dave. Uh-huh. Um, I don't see them going any anywhere anytime soon. I think we're sort of inherently as humans really curious about this inside intimate world that we don't normally get to see in, in people's lives. Um, you know, it's like soap operas were popular when I was growing up in the 90s, and this kind of takes them to a whole new level. But <laughs> I, I do think we need to push back against some of the problematic things that we see on these shows and maybe advocate for more like actual people who aren't Instagram models to yeah. be contestants. Well, you know, maybe that's what they want to do with the Golden Bachelor, with sort of the uh, more senior citizen-focused uh, Bachelor, except they're all super hot. Like, they're all super, yeah. super hot. <laughs> it's like nothing but cougars and silver foxes uh, hanging out in that show. So, yeah, maybe we can get a couple more uh, normal people, normal-looking people on TV. That would be nice. Uh, Laura, the, the dating TV show that I remember watching and being a little bit obsessed with when I was, like, 19, 20 years old. Now, now this is one that I might be cutting so deep that no one on earth is going to recognize. It used to be at one in the morning on the Montreal Fox Syndicate. They would play this show called Eliminate, where it would be one guy on a date with three or four women or one woman on a date with three or four men. And every segment of the show during some stage of the date, they would be eliminated. And this show I loved because I didn't need to watch like 77 episodes of a season to follow along. Boom, 22 minutes, we're in, we're out, we're eliminated. So I would like to see a little bit more of the uh, one-off episode of dating shows if I had my druthers. Yeah, that's fair. But I think I'm just thinking about the poor contestants on that show, you know, and I think that this does create people come on here sometimes in good faith, like looking to find love, but they're put in oh, these no. really artificial situations <laughs> that are not designed to help them with that and, and you know, could create a lot of feelings of jealousy and insecurity and all that. Okay, Laura watches uh, reality TV a little bit differently than I do. I think I think that's pretty <laughs> clear at this point. Uh, Laura, thank you for this. Have a great day. Thank you for doing a little experimentation today. Yeah, thanks, Steve. That's Laura Bain, a columnist in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Coming up after the break, it's not just World Mental Health Day. Of course, that's the topic of the Daily Poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, where you're being asked what's your preferred method of self-care. It's also Amazon Prime Day. The Large River Retailer having their big online sale. So Alex Smythe is going to uh, pose that question to myself and Ramya 
all about our online shopping habits. I'm a little bit scared to admit what I'm going to admit. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.